Welcome to the podcast. I'm Bruce Moe of Commonwealth Magazine. Our starting point today is Wednesday's train derailment on the red line and the commuter chaos that ensued. As we tape this show, the official cause of the derailment hasn't been established yet, but the train operator suggested it may have been a motor failure. The car that derailed was nearly 31 years old. It had some major systems replaced in January 2016, and it was last inspected on February 13th, four days before the accident. Weather was clearly not the issue this day. It was the middle of February, 9.20 a.m., yet temperatures were headed for the 70s. It was school vacation week, so there were a lot of families, many of whom may not be regular riders of the tea, headed into town. One father sent me an email about what his family experienced, and I quote, No buses, but hundreds of folks pushing and shoving to get on a bus so full it was another safety issue, he said. Very poorly handled, and the officers handled it poorly, allowing children and elderly to get shoved into the streets. Never again. The question today is, what does this meltdown signify, and what should be done about it? Governor Charlie Baker had this to say. As I've said many times, um, most of the stuff on the tracks and the systems and the, and the trains and the cars and all the rest on the T are 50 years old or more. Um, for decades, people neglected making the investments they should have been making in the core system. We've been investing hundreds of millions of dollars in those core systems uh, upgrades. And uh, in a couple of years from now, you're going to have basically new cars on the red line, new cars on the orange line, new signals and switches on both systems, new cars um, and, a, and a very different system than the one we have now. But, um, but in the meantime, I get the fact that um, what riders had to put up with yesterday was, was unacceptable. With me today are Seti Warren, the former mayor of Newton and a Democratic candidate for governor, and James Aloisi, the former secretary of transportation and a regular contributor to Commonwealth. Let's start with you, Mr. Warren. If you were governor, what would you do? Well, thanks for having me on. Look, you know, Charlie Baker ran on fixing the T. It is clear his approach, no new revenue and privatization, has been a disaster and is not working. We need additional revenue to increase service for people on the T. Just this past week, you have four headlines that jump out. This red line uh, debacle that occurred, the increasing derailments in the green line, $100,000 bathroom that was installed by Mass DOT so that bureaucrats could, would avoid the press, and this exploding exploding over time. This is a failure by the Baker administration, failure by Charlie Baker. He's got to own it. We have to invest in upgrading these decades-old, antiquated pieces of equipment. That's what I believe, and we've got to ask people who are doing really well in this economy to contribute more. I'm, as you know, Bruce, I'm a firm supporter of the uh, fair share tax amendment, millionaire's tax, asking people making over a million dollars a year to contribute more. Governor Baker's against it, and it's wrong, and he's also wrong by doubling down on privatization and no new revenue. This is what the results are. Jim, what's your take? Well, I think Mayor Warren is right. Uh, I also think in many respects the governor is right. I I have, um, you know, I've been a registered Democrat grew up in East Boston since I could vote. Um, but, it, you know, when I was Secretary of Transportation under a Democratic governor, it was Democrats then, not today, then in the Senate who came up with reform before revenue. That wasn't a Republican idea. That was 
at the time, the Senate chair of the Transportation Committee and the then Senate president. As an advocate for transit these days, I just take the view that we all have a lot of blame to go around, and it's not a partisan issue. So yes, the governor's right. There's 50 years of disinvestment. By the way, a lot of us have been involved in government during that period of time. He included, me included. So we all have a share of the blame if we want to look in the mirror pretty carefully. The mayor's right. We need to begin a process of reinvestment that's accelerated way beyond what we're doing today. What I have said, what I've written, is it's good that the Fiscal Management Control Board is spending more than ever before on state of good repair, but they're not spending anywhere near enough to keep pace with the need, which is a $7.3 billion need, and that's probably a conservative number. When they say they're spending a lot on state of good repair, embedded in that number includes the new red and orange line trains, which is a legacy from the prior administration. It needs to be done. I applaud them for continuing it. Let's separate that from the rest of the repair work that needs to happen to get the system back to where it should be, and systems and power, and et cetera. And so we've got to do more, and we've got to do more quickly. And, and we're not there yet. And the reason why we're not there yet, in my view, is, and the T, I think, would admit it, they don't have the resources to do more work. They don't have the talent to put out more work from a procurement perspective, from a contracting perspective, and from an operational perspective, they need net new revenue to acquire the resources to get it done. They prove that they can do this. The model is their own model. When the Green Line Extension Project was about to fail, they hired talent to do a new procurement, to come in and do a fresh assessment of the design. That project is now on track, no pun intended, but it's because they brought in the resources to get it done right. That's what needs to happen across the board and state of good repair. You cannot do that without net new revenue of a significant uh, scale. So you're both saying new revenue. And uh, Seti, you're, you're talking about the fair share amendment, which we're still waiting to see if it's going to pass constitutional muster with the Supreme Judicial Court. But if, let me just sort of probe a little bit on that. If that doesn't pass, and of course, we might also have on the ballot a reduction in the sales tax. So the revenue picture is a little cloudy just going into this election. Um, what, what, what are you talking about when you say they need more revenue? Are you saying huge amounts of new revenue? or where, And where, where do you think it's going to come from, aside from the fair share tax? Well, say? we absolutely have to ask people doing really well in this economy to contribute more. There's no question. Um, I do believe the fair share tax amendment will pass the judicial muster. I think it will be on the ballot. And I think, hopefully, the people of Massachusetts, I'm hopeful they will pass this measure. Um, I really have an issue with Charlie Baker going against this amendment, saying he's against the fair share tax amendment. Charlie Baker is not willing to ask people making over $20,000 a week to contribute more, but yet he's willing to ask people making $20,000 a year to pay more in a, in a fare. I mean, he's, this is the second time Charlie Baker is proposing raising fares on working people. Do you, $20,000 a year, that, can, uh, that actually calculates to under $300 a week. Charlie Baker's asking working people to, to, to pay more out of their pocket to, into a service that is barely cutting 
the muster for getting people where they need to go. There's a reason why we have gridlock traffic here in the state of Massachusetts. It's because we don't have reliable public transportation. More people are using their cars. So, look, what do I believe? Um, we just had a huge uh, tax cut given by the Trump administration, multinational corporations, people, people with extreme wealth. We've got to ask those folks to contribute more in revenue. Uh, so that we can invest in a transit system that works. This this idea that somehow privatization, Charlie Baker's doubling down on this thought, no new revenue, privatization is going to work. We have the worst commuter rail system in the country. The data just came out from the federal government. They cite mechanical failures and breakdowns. We're, we are beyond New York and New Jersey who have more cars, more tracks, more trains because we're not making investments and ensuring that there's a reliable public transportation system. Charlie Baker's plan has failed and it is not working. We need additional revenue so we can invest in that. We got to go, by the way, we got to go beyond just upgrading MBTA service and ensuring Fairmont line and other lines are actually working and, and generating the kind of uh, stops we need I believe in East-West Rail. I believe in South Coast Rail. I believe we need Blue Line Extension, North-South Rail Link as well, as well in good green transit authorities, regional transit authorities that have been gutted under this administration to get people to where they need to go. So in addition to upgrading the MBTA commuter rail, you go out to different parts of, of Massachusetts, there's no transportation. There's no option for public transportation. You know, you go down to the Cape, you go down to Western Mass, you go up to North Shore. So um, again, we've got gridlock traffic. We've got people not being able to get to where they need to go. It's costing Massachusetts a lot of revenue and money. And it's costing uh, uh, people the ability to get to their jobs, uh, get to their kids and back. We need investment. We need it now. Jim, you sort of say it's a nonpartisan issue. But uh, you got to think that one of the uh, stumbling blocks to addressing this problem is sort of the governor's reluctance to even talk about new revenues. Um, well, it's his reluctance. I think it's the speaker's reluctance, too. Last I saw, we have a Democratic Speaker of the House, right? And I can tell you, having served in a Democratic governor's cabinet, that you can't get things done unilaterally. You need the legislature to help you. Now, um, we've had a speaker since... 2009, who every time I read the paper, he's saying no new taxes. Um, you know, legislature did something at the end of the last administration, a very small gesture toward raising the gas tax, indexing it for inflation. The voters in their quote-unquote wisdom decided not to index it for inflation uh, the following year, but, but you need a partner. And so that's why I keep reminding people, and I feel, you know, it's sort of the freedom of being a, a former public servant, not likely to go back into government, allows me to say to my Democratic brethren, the legislature needs to be part of the solution. So yes, the governor, I hope, would see that he needs net new revenue. He's a smart guy. Um, and I'd hope we'd be able to break through ideology to practicality. But he needs, uh, the House generates money bills. He needs the House uh, I'm not worried about the Senate these days, but he needs the House to uh, to be a, a partner. And I don't, I haven't seen that happening. No, no, so we, we need to deal with that. But I agree with the mayor. We, we the fair share. We're in one of the worst regions in the nation when it comes to income inequality. We need to level the playing field. The fair share amendment is one way to do that. 
And it's one way to presumably bring money into the system for the things we care about the most, education, transportation. Um, I've proposed other ways to raise net new revenue for transportation, primarily thinking about, frankly, getting the legislature to empower cities and towns to take up the work of raising revenue, like they do in many other places around the country. Allow regions and cities to impose fees for projects in their districts. Allow cities to impose carbon fees on, on non-residential parking and dedicating that money to cleaner modes, transit, cycling, walking. Um, I'm, I just don't have the confidence that a legislature that represents the entire Commonwealth can ever come together in the, in the way we need it to to respond to the needs of the T, hence my interest these days in thinking about devolving that power to the local level. Mm -hmm. Now, he talks about a, a sort of bipartisan issue here, um, but the it seems to me that there, um, and I, well, well, let me just ask you, do, sure. you, do, you see, do you agree with him on that? that Absolutely. Look, I, I'm a lifelong Democrat. I'm not afraid to uh, push back on my own party. I mean, a few weeks ago, Governor Baker got up and, and uh, presented the state of the state. A bunch of people in that chamber were cheering him on. Uh, it turns out, you know, the next day the budget was not in balance and he proposed removing 140,000 people off of Mass Health. I said that night, I disagree with Charlie Baker when he says no new revenue. And I also disagree with Speaker DeLeo when he says no new revenue. I think that, and I. Both of them are, I believe, are wrong in this regard. We've got to make investment in uh, the things that make a difference in people's lives. You mentioned, uh, Jim, you talked about economic inequality. I got into this race because of the issue of economic inequality. The growing divide, um, in addition to transportation, I know we're here to talk about transportation, but you look at this uh, situation with education in the state. I mean, if an outdated Chapter 70 formula um, Governor Baker doesn't want to push it forward. Some of the folks in the legislature don't want to push it forward to redo it because it's going to cost more money to fully fund K-12 through and make sure that districts who are laying teacher, teachers off right now, right now. Um, so it's wrong. We've got to be honest. We've got to redo Chapter 70. We've got to ask folks that are doing really well in this economy to contribute more so that we can invest in K-12. through And, oh, by the way, adding after-school enrichment, summer enrichment, early childhood. And I believe in free public college lifelong with apprenticeships and internships. But this is about telling the truth about what it's going to take to ensure that our folks in the state really actually have economic opportunity and we don't put our economic growth at risk. Because if we're not investing in good, solid public transportation and having overclogged highways and having people not being able to rely on public uh, transportation, we're not going to continue to see the kind of economic growth that we are. You know, and the economic growth is happening because of our people and innovation, where we're failing as state government. And this is where we've got to make some, some real decisions and be honest with our constituents. So you've been focused on getting the needed revenue to transit officials to do the job. Do you trust the MBTA to get the job done if they get the money? Look, I here's what I would say to that. I think there are some really good, hardworking employees over there. Um, I question the folks in management right now. Uh, you've got uh, some folks that came back, uh, a guy named Dan Grabowskis, who I know you know, another guy, uh, uh, Mr. Ramirez now over there. Um, I'm looking at the management practices. I, for the life of me, I cannot understand how the MBTA under Charlie Baker installed the $100,000 
bathroom, half bath, in the Department of Transportation so that bureaucrats could avoid the press. I mean, so the answer to you is the workers are, are doing the best they can, but the management, I got to tell you, this exploding overtime. I mean, Charlie Baker ran on fixing the T. It is not fixed. He tried to privatize the, the money room. Turned out to be a disaster. The parking lot privatization turned out to be a disaster. He's doubling down on the privatization of the commuter rail service. Keyless is running, running it. I mean, so do I trust the management, this management group that and under Charlie Baker? Absolutely not. We got to get a new team in there that's willing to look at outcomes for people, um, make sure that we give the employees the tools they need and resources they need to fix the the tracks, the trains, DPU came out this week and said that the what the Green Line needs is more money and people. We are at a breaking point. This is the report. You saw it. because And all these Green Line derailments continue to rise. Let's be honest about the fact we need additional investment and revenue. And stop this backward, failed approach by Charlie Baker of privatization and no new revenue. Um, Seti, do you... Do you uh, like the idea of a fiscal and management control board, or is that something you would like to – it's going to expire of its own weight, I think, under the legislation. Would you like to see it continue? Look, I mean, you know, all these various names and commissions and things that Charlie Baker has come up with, they're they're interesting to talk about. I'm about outcomes for people. I mean, under a a Warren administration, you're going to see transparent outcomes for the T, every one of the lines, what we want. And by the way – just backing up on the Beacon Hill and the budgeting, I also believe we need to change the way we do budgeting on Beacon Hill because it is not transparent. It is not outcome-based. The House One budget comes – it starts with the governor. The process starts with the governor, right, Jim? Then it goes to the – then it yes, goes it out. Right. So from my standpoint, the first thing we got to do is provide a level service maintenance budget. Very simple, very clear. All this means is how much does it cost for what we're doing right now in state government? I sent a letter to the governor asking him to provide this, as well as the speaker and the Senate president, a year ago. And the second thing I asked for was five-year revenue projections, not just one-year tax revenue projections, so that state government would be accountable to those projections five years out, not just one year. So if the if the revenue projection was a little rosier than not – one year, you can't kick the can down the road to the next year. Governor Baker did not provide me an answer to with my letter, my request about a level service budget, because I believe he knows what I know. We're not taking enough revenue to do what we're doing now, which is why we have a structural deficit. Let's stop the lack of transparency. Bruce, you know, last year, Standard and Poor's downgraded the bond rating of the state of Massachusetts for the first time in 30 years. 30 years. And they cited in that report the games and gimmicks being played by Governor Charlie Baker keep these budgets afloat. This is last year. So let's just put it out there, create transparency. This is nonpartisan, all parties. Create outcomes we want and ask people that are doing really well in this economy to contribute more so that we can actually invest in a system that works for people. That is not happening right now, and it's wrong. So that's how I see it. You know, this this governor has failed as far as the MBTA. It is a failure. His policies have failed. 
Now, Jim, I suspect you have a slightly different interpretation of the current management at the T. Give me your well, take. Well, I mean, I, I, as you know, I've come to be a, a fan of the Fiscal Management Control Board largely because of the people who are on it. I think they're very capable people. I mean, if I were governor, I'd, they, I'd appoint those people. They're, so the governor has done, a, in my view, done a good job selecting the right people to do the job. I continue to say... I don't think this is about bad intentions. I think it's about no revenue, not enough revenue, right? And so if you think about the real issue here, and I, by the way, I want to, in case there's, there's an anticipated red herring that I think some people will throw when they hear this, they say, oh, tax and spend. This is not about tax and spend. First of all, I don't talk about taxing anything. I talk about finding new revenue sources based on things like uh, tax, carbon assessments on non-residential parking or allowing cities and towns to do what they need to do or putting a fee on Uber and Lyft like Chicago is doing that dedicated to transit, number one. Number two, people need to keep in mind when you invest in transportation, you're investing in jobs, you're investing in the economy. Ottery Business Committee report was issued two weeks ago. Metro Boston, which is basically the MBTA service area, is producing 84% of the state's gross domestic product. They're producing 75% of the state's jobs. So, and they house about 75% of the state's people in Metro Boston. If we don't invest aggressively in a first-rate MBTA transit system, we're undercutting our ability to grow our economy. Our economy is one of the most expensive ones to do business in nationally. What makes it attractive is its high level of productivity. And that productivity is found in Metro Boston because we're transit-oriented. If you look at where the growth is happening at Assembly Square and in, in, in Kendall Square and the Seaport District, it's all around transit nodes. And they're at crush capacity now, many of them. So we're kidding ourselves if we think that investing in transportation isn't integral to not just maintaining our economic strength, but growing it. You know, it's, these connections are real. They're not limited. So when we talk about raising net new revenue, it's not simply to fix the system, but to fix the system to respond to the needs of people today. And to make sure, by the way, that as we're doing that, we're doing it in a regionally equitable way, in a socially equitable way, in an environmentally equitable way. All these things require attention, but they also require money to get them done. Now, you made this point in an article you wrote uh, that appeared in, on Commonwealth's website this week, but you also said in there, um, why do we let political leaders off the hook by accepting their inaction or lack of creativity? Yeah. Um, why do we? <laughs> you, it, it, talk a little bit more about that. Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, the governor uh, vetoed um, a proposal a year or so ago that would have enabled the state to do a volunteer pilot program to test out whether a user fee per mile would work in Massachusetts, something we call a VMT With approach. federal money, too. With federal he, money. They would have paid for it. Why are we afraid of a volunteer pilot? People would volunteer to do it. No one would force them. <laughs> and it's a pilot to test out the data, the efficacy of it. We have to, that's, we have to be creative. We have to be, we, that's not even being bold. That's being moderately timid to say we're going we're gonna to just ask people to volunteer to do something. We're going to do it. We're going to use federal money to do it, and we're going to see. We're going to learn from that experience so we can perhaps do something, some 21st century approach to revenue generation here. We can't. That's the kind of thing that, that 
um, if, if I have hair to lose, I lose more hair. It's the kind of thing that makes me wonder, why can't we be more creative and innovative from political leadership? And I don't, I'm not picking on him, but that's one example of why, why can't we do that, you know? And um, I'm hoping that the conversation that people are having um, these days, and it seems to be a broader conversation regionally, is one that will get political leaders to understand that people will have their back if they act more boldly. The people want a regional rail system that replaces an outdated commuter rail system. They want a better subway and bus system. They want bus rapid transit. We'll have their backs. We just need them to lead. Now, Seti, um, so I was caught in the derailment snafu on Wednesday, and um, frankly, I've, I've been through these types of things before on the T, um, and m there's some people that react hostily when, you, when you're in these situations. You, I read that quote from the father who had brought his family in, and they were getting jostled around, and he was upset, obviously. But the prevailing reaction sort of seems to be a shrug of the shoulders, get out your phone, read what's going on, and wait it out. Uh, the one lucky thing, Wednesday, it was beautiful weather, so I could walk, uh, skip mm -hmm. the next train stop, and get to the one where I could theoretically catch a bus. And I was lucky enough to hop on commuter rail. How do you turn this issue of the T in? Do you feel like it's becoming a political issue? Uh, it's sort of hard to tell for, for me. You're, mm. you're out there talking to voters about it. Do you sense that this is a, a vulnerability for the governor, that, that this is something that is going to become a potent well, political issue? Well, there's no question, you know, Charlie Baker ran on this issue. He ran on turning the T around. The yeah, is, is, and, is that and that's, true, that's though? I, 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 sure. thought he, I thought he got caught when he came into office with a shutdown system he and has, suddenly found, now I've got to be responsible for he, this. He is taking credit for... Um, uh, you know, three things Charlie Baker has said, and I want to answer your question uh, first, and then I want to respond to that. Sure. Um, do I believe this is a real issue for people? Absolutely. You know, I took a ride on the T. I saw you afterwards um, on the red line from Walston to Park Street a number of months ago. I got on that train because a young man uh, had challenged me to ride the Walston red line uh, after I was criticizing Governor Baker. So I, I jumped on the T. I jumped down the red line with him. And, he, you know, he, he's a Suffolk University student. He said, I'm late to class. I've almost missed final exams. I started talking to people on that train, what, met an individual that um, works in an IT firm at Park Street, takes Walston. He said, you know, I might risk losing my job because I'm late so many times. This train is late three, four times a day. Um, what do I believe? When you have people, and he said, I can't, can't afford to drive because I can't afford to park down at Park Street. Look, when you have people that rely on public transportation uh, to get to work and back, to pay uh, their rent, their mortgage, put food on the table for themselves and their families, it is absolutely a very serious issue. And you have Charlie Baker uh, asking individuals who are working people to pay more in, in fares, I mean, the second time he's tried to jack up the fares, but he's not willing to ask people making over a million dollars a year or more to invest in upgrading the system. It is wrong. And so what do I believe? Yes, this is a very serious issue for Charlie Baker when he said he's going to turn things around. I mean, some of his, the comments coming out of his team were making improvements you can't see. 
I don't know what that means. And he says it's going to take 20 years to fix the tee. His, his team says that. If it's going to take them 20 years and him 20 years to fix the tee, get out of the way and let me get in there and ask people to contribute more who are doing well in this economy so we can invest in upgrading it now. We can't wait 20, 20 years. So I think there's a very serious issue for uh, uh, not just the governor, but for the people of our state. You know, as I said, you know, we we are putting our economic growth at risk and we're also leaving people behind that can't afford to uh, have these kind of delays and breakdowns and, and all the rest. And we have gridlock traffic, which is costing the Commonwealth a lot of money in this economy right uh, right now because we don't have good, solid public transportation. And one last little thing, and then we'll wrap up. You keep saying he ran on fixing up the T. Yeah. My my perception, maybe I've got a faulty perception, was that he ran, then the T broke down, and suddenly he decided I have to do something about this. Well, he ran on on Mr. Fix It. You know, I'm going to fix the MBT. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix that. And I got to tell you, I mean, I this is he is not. This has been a complete failure of Charlie Baker. Privatization and no new revenue does not work. It is a failure. Whether he, you think he ran it or not, he owns it. He said he was going to fix it. It's not fixed. It's getting worse. All right. Well, I want to thank all our listeners for joining us today. And thank you to Seti Warren and Jim Aloisi. And, and you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>